Many of us were away last weekend uh, on a kind of retreat type thing. Many of people were camping and the weather was appalling. I was in a hotel, guilty. Um, <laughs> Uh, my fa- one of my favorite moments was a little four-year-old girl as I was walking across the site. She was walking past her campsite with a Mac on, a little yellow wellies on, and she was kicking through the puddles singing, I love mud, I love mud, I love mud, I love mud. I thought, you really are seeing the best of this situation. I'm not sure many people will share your sympathies, but she was loving it. Amazing weekend. The worship was phenomenal, led by our good friend Jules Burt, who many of you will know. Um, so, so many stories of lives transformed. My favorite, I think, was a guy. He uh, said he was a veteran uh, of 23 years. He'd served in the first Gulf War. He'd served in the Falklands. And he says, I've been carrying guilt and shame for 23 years over some of the things that I did in those two wars. He said, and this weekend, God has set me free. Uh, it's just like, oh, oh. you know. 3,000 people, if we all just came for that one moment, it was all worth it. It was all worth it for that moment. So just phenomenal. And as part of it, actually, it, it really was the launch pad of what I want to say today because Julian Adams, who's part of our community, prophesied, he felt God was speaking to him that in this season, there is a door, there's a moment of God opening doors of opportunity. He said God is going to open doors of opportunity swiftly and, and, and that they're both going to be individual doors so that many of us are going to find doors of opportunity in our lives, doors to impact situations, impact other people, to extend God's kingdom, that they're going to open swiftly, God uh, speaking to us about that, but also that they're going to be doors of national significance that God is going to open in this day. Anyone want to receive that? Thank you, God. I really do feel there's something on that. He's brought that word several times now, both to us and in this context. And uh, as he was bringing this word publicly at Catalyst at the festival, I really felt God speaking to me. And he said this, Simon, it's time to repent of the lethargy of bureaucracy and the disobedience of delay. <laughs> the lethargy of bureaucracy and the disobedience of delay. And as he said those words to me, I, I, I thought that's too smart for me to have made it up. There's something God is speaking to me right now through this. And so um, I, I don't know about you, but I, you notice that when God opens a door, sometimes that door stays open for a while, but sometimes you have to move through those doors quickly. Anyone notice that? The doors don't stay open forever. That there's opportunities, I believe, God is going to open. The door's going to open quickly, but we need to move through quickly. And sometimes there's a wisdom in delay, but sometimes delay is just pure disobedience. It's just pure disobedience. And I felt God say to me, Simon, this starts with you. So I've been repenting, changing my thinking all week, saying, God, I don't want to be one who is caught up with the disobedience of delay. I want to be different to that father. I don't know if you've heard of Victor Kayam. Um, many of you will remember seeing Victor Kayam adverts many years ago. He, he, uh, he, he was the owner of a company called Remington that made electric shavers. He looked a little bit like this. We got the PowerPoint up there. And uh, this was Victor Kayam. And uh, he, he, used to, he had this phrase which is stuck in my memory. I heard it so many times. He, he said, uh, I love these razors so much I bought the company. He spoke exactly like that. Anyone remember that? Was, no, anyway. Anyway, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it so much I bought the company. And he used to say over, which actually I found later was complete lie because he had never shaved with these razors before he bought the company and he spent hours advertising him through this, through this thing but it was a total lie but anyway that's an aside but the other thing he said was this which I thought was incredibly profound he said this procrastination is opportunity's natural assassin Ooh. 
Procrastination is opportunity's natural assassin. And I, and I felt, you know, if we are moving into a, a season in God of, of, of unprecedented opportunity where God is opening doors, the natural assassin of that is going to be procrastination. But I don't know about you, I love procrastination. I, I, I agree with Oscar Wilde when he says, why put off till tomorrow what you can do the day after? I mean, I, I just think, I love procrastination. We just enjoy procrastinating, don't we? There's something, uh, there's something enjoyable about it. There's a wisdom in delay, but there's also the disobedience of delay. And God, I feel, is calling us in this day out of the disobedience of delay. I, I've told this story before, but I was parachute jumping one time. Well, actually, I only did it one time. Um, and uh, in the training, we were being trained, and uh, there was all like these, these ex-military guys who'd like, jumped thousands of times. And in the training, someone said, what happens if you don't want to jump when you get up there? And they said, well, it's actually more dangerous to come down with the plane, because as, as we found out later, there's no door on the plane. So if it tips as you're coming down, you can drop out and die. So, uh, nice. Uh, <laughs> so he said, it's more dangerous to come down with a plane, so you know, um, you, you really need to, to jump. And they said, well, if you really don't want to jump, they're like, well, okay, I guess if you really don't want to jump. Anyway, we get up there. The lady before me is in the door, because you stick your legs out the door first. And the slipstream, if anyone's done it, the slipstream is intense as it's like blasting you past this place. And there's a limited time to get out over the air, airfield. And so the jump master is like, three, two, one, jump! And, and she doesn't move. Three, two, one, jump. And he's, we know he's got to get two people out on this pass or we're going to run out of fuel before everyone can jump. So this, it's all fraught with danger. Um, so, three, two, one, jump. So she doesn't move. And I was sitting opposite her. I could look in her eyes and I was thinking, this woman's not going. She is not jumping. There's just no way she's getting out of this plane. So the third time, three, two, one, jump. She doesn't move. So he pushes her out of the plane. I saw it with my own eyes. And the rest of us were like... Okay then, I'd rather jump myself than be pushed out. <laughs> so we all went willingly. Anyway, walking back to the airfield after, from the to the um, the hangar after jumping with the with the jump master, I said, "What happened to that woman before me?" He's like, "Yeah, no one comes down with a plane." I was like, "You lied!" <laughs> but the reality is, there's a procrastination that assassinates opportunity. <laughs> We're moving into a season of open doors. We need to move through those doors quickly. And we, we need to take out procrastination. We need to deal with it. We need to repent, change our thinking over the disobedience that is delay. And, and obedience is not a popular word today. Who's done the course of 10 ways that you can obey? I mean, you just don't sign up for that course. It's not a popular word, is it, obedience? And yet, incredibly, it's a massively biblical word. You see this word again and again in the Scriptures. You know, we don't mind training dogs, do we? We don't mind training animals. I even saw last night on YouTube, you can train hamsters, which who knew? Uh, there's a clip on there of a hamster who plays dead. You literally go like this and shoot it, and he goes, oh. I mean, he's a better actor than Keanu Reeves. He just like plays dead, like keels over and plays. That's amazing. Who knew? I've, but my daughter owned a hamster. Those guys are hard to train. You can train hamsters, but the obedience we're talking about is not the obedience of animals, the obedience of dogs and hamsters and horses. It's not that kind of obedience. It's not even the obedience of slavery, the obedience of coercion. Caroline will tell you the story in her school, which was a Christian school, and uh, if they still had the cane. And so when you were, were naughty, you would, go to the, you would go to the headmaster's office, and because it was a Christian school, on the bookcase, on the bottom shelf, there was a picture of Jesus. And the headmaster would say, now grab your ankles and look at Jesus while he was caning you, which I think is sick and wrong. 
But it's, it's true. Caroline swears that she never got the cane, but I'm not quite so sure myself. Uh, but how did she know about that? Anyway. <laughs> but it's not that kind of disobedience. It's not that kind of obedience that we're talking about. It's not the obedience of a slave. It's not the obedience of coercion. It's the obedience of children with their father. That's what we're talking about, the obedience of a child with a father. And, and there's one story which is told time and time again. It's the story of Abraham. If you're a new Christian and you've not read his story, I would urge you, get to your Bible, go through Genesis until you find, Genesis the first book, until you find the story of Abraham. Because Abraham's story is one of those stories that kind of underpins so much else in the Bible. You need to know his story. And Abraham, just to summarize it very briefly, was a pagan. He was a pagan who knew nothing of God, and then God spoke to him. And he said, leave your homeland behind and go to a land which I will show you. And the writer to Hebrews summarizing it, and this is the verse we're going to look at today. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And I just want to talk on that one verse today. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. I'm going to borrow some thoughts from Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the greatest British preachers, and I want to ask three questions. What kind of faith produces an obedience like Abraham's? What kind of faith produces this, this kind of obedience? Secondly, what does that obedience look like? What does the obedience that faith produces look like? And thirdly, what does a life that follows this line look like? What's it look like in the end? So firstly, what kind of faith produces obedience? What does faith look like that produces an obedience like Abraham? What What was the faith that Abraham had that produces it? Firstly, I think it's this. It's the faith that realizes that obedience is actually the love language of heaven. Obedience is the love language of heaven. Many times in the scriptures, one in particular, God says, your sacrifices I, want, I don't want. What I'm interested in is your obedience. Obedience is God's love language. There's a, there's a basic foundation of the gospel, which is this, we are saved by grace. We cannot earn his favor. Anyone got that point yet? There is nothing, I'm worried. Anyone got that point yet? You cannot earn anything from God. If you're a new believer or not yet a believer here, you need to understand we are not here all good people, all nice people. No, we are horrible, miserable people. Turn to the person next to us. No, don't do that. We are horrible, wretched people caught in our sin. That we, Any niceness that you see in this church, any welcome, any warmth, anything of love or kindness and compassion that you see is not from us. It is by by grace. He has produced it in us. It's grace that has done it. But some think then, well, therefore, if it's all by grace, then surely these words like obedience don't have anything to do with the Christian life. But it's just not true. Because as we saw, it's by faith Abraham obeys. It's a faith that produces obedience. John 14, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my command. You will keep my commands. Matthew 28, Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Hebrews 11, we read it. By faith, Abraham obeyed. There is an obedience that flows from faith, that flows out of our faith, that we need to be concerned with. Romans 1, Paul talks about his ministry. The Apostle Paul, one of the the writers of much of the New Testament, he says this, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Some translations write it, the obedience that comes from faith. 
There is an obedience that God is calling us to. And it, and it doesn't take away from grace. It doesn't remove anything from grace. Jonathan Edwards understood it. He said this, In grace, we are not merely passive, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest, but God does all and we do all. God produces all and we act all. Anything, he's saying, anything that we do is by God and by grace. It's produced, but who is it produced through? It's produced through us. That's how grace works. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul again, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the others, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. <laughs> Notice that. It's the grace of God at work. In. He works, and yet it's from grace that he works. It's faith that produces obedience. It's that kind of faith. When Caroline and I were first married, when we had guests around, she wanted me to hoover. She wanted the hoovering done. She couldn't do it. She wanted the hoovering done. I was not happy about it. I mean, you know, who? They're all right. They're just, I mean, they're not going to notice the carpet, surely. So I was grumpy. I was, anyone hoovered when you're grumpy? It's amazing the damage you can do to the skirting board. Smashing the hoover around, slamming the doors. Hoovering aggressively actually is quite satisfying in a strange way. But I did it like that the first time. And then the next time I realized afterwards, after saying sorry, I realized, Do you know what, it's only hoovering. I guess maybe they might notice the carpet. So I hoovered with a little bit of a better attitude. I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well have a good attitude about it. So I had a bit of a better attitude. And then the next time I thought, well, if I'm going to do it anyway, I'm, I'm going to have a good attitude. I might as well put my iPod on and listen to some music, you know, worship music. Can make this a holy moment while I hoover. <laughs> so I hoovered with my wife. Actually, I quite enjoyed it. I found myself quite enjoying doing the hoovering. And the, I think a few times after that, we had guests over. Now, we don't only hoover when we guess, have guests over, but <laughs> it does provoke action. Uh, and so the next time after that, Caroline, I don't think he was there, we were having guests over, and I thought, you know, we've got guests over. We should hoover. <laughs> and so I hoovered of my own accord. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. And now I regularly find myself hoovering <laughs> out of my own free will. <laughs> now the reality is this. Who was doing the hoovering? I was doing it. Who prompted it, inspired it, changed me? It was Caroline. <laughs> this is how grace works. He changes us from the inside out. It's a faith that produces obedience. We start off grumpy and miserable saying, oh, I'll obey you God if I have to. <laughs> And then we realize, no, no, this faith is not a faith that stays alone. It's a faith that produces something. It produces obedience. And it's the faith that realizes that God has actually got the right to command obedience. You know, he is a father. We emphasize that massively in this community. It's important to realize he is not a, a tyrant. But we must not overemphasize the fact that he's a father and lose the reality that he is also Lord and master and the supreme ruler of the universe. He has the right to command my obedience. There's a famous story of Neil Martin, the MP, and uh, he was taking a, a tour, a group round Houses of Parliament, and as they're touring around, they bump into Lord uh, um, Halsham, who was, uh, at that time was the Lord Chancellor, and he had all his chains on and his re kind of regalia, his robes, and he recognized Neil Martin as they're kind of across the corridor. And so he shouts out, hey, Neil! And apparently the whole group fell to their floor and kneeled in front of him, kind of prostrating themselves. 
And Neil Martin's like, what, what, no, yeah, hi, yeah. <laughs> but that's the reality, isn't it? That God, actually, though he is father, he is not a tyrant. He has the right to command obedience. And we mustn't forget that. And secondly, you know, he is also, he, there's something about understanding. A faith that produces obedience is a faith that not only understands that God has the right to command obedience, that when he says to serve one another, and that, that is the, the greatest sign that we have understood greatness in the kingdom is that we kneel to serve. You'll have an opportunity at the end to sign up to serve. It's the greatest thing that you can do in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, to serve. The leader must be like the servant of all, he said. So if you want to lead in this church, then I'd urge you serve. But it's not only just understanding that he's got the right to say that. There is a rightness in what God commands us. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? The faith that produces obedience realizes that when God speaks, it's not just, oh, here's a good idea. <laughs> here's something that might help you in your life. It's not kind of uh, just like a, 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 an agony on helping you how to, sort, how to live a better life. There is a rightness about what God says. When he speaks and when he commands, he just doesn't do it willy-nilly just because he didn't have anything better to do. When he commands, when we follow him in obedience, we do it because he is right. We know how the story of Abraham ends, but Abraham didn't do that. He didn't know that. He didn't know where it was all going to end. He didn't know that this was going to start a massive kind of tidal wave through all of history, his simple obedience. He didn't know all of that. He just obeyed because he trusted that God was right. And that when God said go, and said, you're going to go, and you're not going to know where you're going, he was like, okay. <laughs> Abraham went based purely on the fact that he thought, God, you're right. And it's a faith, that, the faith that produces obedience is a faith that realizes that. It's not just God's good idea. Uh, I had a time when I was um, uh, with, in a meeting with this famous kind of Christian leader, and at the beginning of the meeting, I didn't even realize he knew me very well. We'd met once, but he came up to me and said, Simon, at the end, in the ministry time, would you come with me and pray for those who respond? And on the outside, I was like, oh, yes, of course. On the inside, I was like, oh, he chose me. He knows me. He chose me. Out of all of these others, he chose me. Well, on the outside, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Super casual on the inside. <laughs> little flutter, little flutter of recognition. Anyway, so the meeting carries on. He does this cracking preach. hundred people respond or more, probably in this room. And as I stand up to kind of join the ministry team, the Lord spoke really clearly to me. And I noticed the lady over the side who had not responded because she couldn't get forward because she was in a wheelchair. And God said to me, only pray for her. Don't pray for anyone else. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> only pray for her oh lord no <laughs> but he chose me <laughs> and so I was like I can't <laughs> okay <laughs> so I prayed for her and the ministry time was going on he was like I could hear him over the microphone could the ministry team please come forward could the ministry and he was like totally swamped there was like people everywhere he had no way he could get around everyone would the ministry team come forward and I'm like I've got to pray for her I've got to pray for her so I'm praying for her talking with her praying with her I prayed for her solidly for 45 minutes I didn't pray for anyone else it got, he got panicking after a while he's like Simon Simon Holly where are you would you come and pray I said keep your head down <laughs> don't make eye contact because I knew that God had only said I didn't understand it all but I knew that he'd said only pray for her. So I just had to obey. And so I prayed with her at the end of it. She wasn't, I didn't noticeably physically better. 
in any way. But she said, thank you so much for praying for me. She said, I've been in countless Christian meetings and most time I get overlooked because I can't ever make it to the front and no one has ever prayed for me that long before in my life. Nothing seemingly happened on the outside, but I tell you what, something happened in her heart. And I didn't know. I didn't know all of that. I just had to obey what God had told me to do. So it's a faith that trusts that God isn't just say this stuff willy-nilly. He says it because he's right. And we don't know where it's all going to end, but he knows. And we just need to learn to obey. So what kind of obedience does this faith produce? What does the obedience look like that this faith produces? I've already said it's not the obedience of a dog. It's not the obedience of a slave. What kind of, faith, what kind of obedience does it look like? Well, it's the obedience really of a child with their father. It's a child with a perfect father. It's a prompt obedience. Notice when God says to Abraham, go, he goes. And I felt this is probably the key point that the Lord has been convicting me of. There's a disobedience of delay. I felt him say to me even this week, Simon, you do obey, but sometimes you take an awful long time to get there. I don't know how many else could relate to that. We kind of get there in the end. But I feel like in this day, this is a timely word in the sense that God is saying there's going to be doors that will open swiftly and we need to get rid of the disobedience of delay and start moving. When God says go, we need to go. There's a promptness about it. I remember I've told you the story before of uh, me in, in town with a lady. She was hobbling through town, the Holy Spirit coming on me saying, go pray for her, go pray for it now. My heart, you know when your heart's beating out of your chest and your shirt's moving, stop it, stop it. You know? <laughs> Everyone's going to notice. And she's hobbling through town and goes, go, 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 go. And then she's gone. And I miss the opportunity. Who knows what would have happened in that moment? But I've realized that there's a disobedience of delay where we try and weigh everything up. But the obedience that this type of faith produces is a prompt obedience. It's when God says, even though we haven't got it all stacked up, we go, we move, we do what he's asking us to. Psalm 119 says, I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. How about you? When God speaks, when you read it in his word, do you obey quickly? Or does it take you months, years to work it through? You know, when it says be baptized, it's quite clear several times. Are you baptized? Get baptized. Stop resting, oh yeah, but this and that and the other and guests and all, yeah, just get baptized. Because it says be baptized. When it says stuff in his word, do you do it or do you delay? When God speaks to you personally, do you do it or do you delay? There's a, there's a, a response. Even today, some of you will feel God prompting you to serve, to join with this team or that time. Will you do it or will you put it all through the filters until out the end comes something else? There's something about realizing that there is a prompt obedience that the Lord is looking for. It's not the obedience of a slave, not the obedience of a dog, but the obedience of a child that trusts his father, that trusts his father, knows what is right. You know, some years ago, we were praying for money for a flight. Caroline needed to go and see her sister. We got some of the money through, and then there was nothing coming. And then suddenly, we get a check in the post from my aunt, 200 pounds, She'd never, apart from a few pounds for birthday money, she'd never spent a, sent us a check like it before. She was like in her late 80s, probably maybe even early 90s by that point. Sends us, us a check through the post, 200 pounds. We phoned her and she said, what, what, you know, what's, what's the money for? She said, well, 
I was in, she's like chair bound, you know, moves from a chair to a bed and back again by this point. Well, I was in my chair and God spoke to me. And she didn't really speak, I know it's more like a Dalek, but. Uh, God, God spoke to me and said, send Caroline 200 pounds. So I did. I thought, bless you. Bless you. It was a prompt. A few weeks later, it would have been too late. It would have been too late. The money, we would have gone. God would have provided. It's what actually what, uh, um, uh, it's, spoken to, what it's spoken to Esther, isn't it? Her, her uncle says to her, Esther, he says, God is going to save his people. It might be, three, you've got an opportunity now. It may be that for such a time as this that you've been chosen. But if you don't act, your family will be destroyed. But God will save his people. <laughs> There is a moment in God, we're given divine opportunities and there's a something in God right now about promptness in our obedience that we are called to before a window of opportunity closes. But also there's a, there's a thoroughness about obedience. The type of obedience that comes out of this faith is a thorough obedience. That's the other thing I guess I would say I'm guilty of. I'll obey God, but maybe 80%. <laughs> Anyway, you're leaving me, you're killing me up here. Anyone else? But I believe that there's a thoroughness about this obedience. When Abram was called to go out, he went out. That's what he did. He didn't do anything else. He didn't add anything, didn't take anything away. God said, go, and he went. It was as simple as that. And there's a temptation, isn't there, to obey the bits that you like, to obey the bits that work for you, and to just the other bits. Well, I probably didn't hear God on that anyway. What about the bits that you did like? Well, definitely, yeah, I heard God on that. <laughs> There's a temptation, isn't there, just to filter out the bits that you don't like. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't weigh these things, we shouldn't test these things, we shouldn't seek counsel, of course we should. I'm not talking about that stuff, but there's a, a disobedience that comes from delay, and there's a disobedience that is based just in part. I remember when I, um, were, uh, before I came to faith in Christ, I'd stolen a load of money from the company that I was part of, that I was working with, and um, uh, a lot of stuff, actually, I'd stolen from them. And, w and, I, and when I came to faith in Christ, God said to me, you need to put this right. I knew, in fact, this was one of the reasons I'd held back from becoming a Christian, because I knew what I needed to do. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Anyway, in the end, it was just insurmountable. I, I, had to, I had to give my life to Christ, so I did. And so what I did to, to respond, I packed all the stuff I'd stolen up and sent it back anonymously to the company. And I thought, ah, oh, that's it. My conscience is appeased. <sighs> Thank you, Lord, I've obeyed. It didn't last very long. <laughs> it didn't last very long before I felt the Holy Spirit knocking on my door saying, I told you to put it right with these guys. It was part of the way, but it wasn't the whole way. And so I had to go to the company and confess what I'd done. But do you know what? If I hadn't done that, firstly, I think there'd still be that skeleton in the cupboard hanging over me even now. But secondly... I would have missed an opportunity of grace because it was in that moment when I confessed it all and where the boss said to me, Simon, took a lot of courage to do this. You need to know this will never be mentioned again. You're, you're, you can walk away free. And I, as I walked through the doorframe of his office, I, for the first time in my life, experienced grace. And I realized in that moment what I'd been earning God's favor and I realized that I'd just been given favor for no reason other than grace. And I had an encounter with grace that changed my life but it wouldn't, I wouldn't have had it from partial obedience. It only comes through when we obey God fully. God is calling us to this. And, and you know, you might feel like, you know, well, God's called me to this church to commit to a group. So you obey that and you say, right, I'm going to commit to a group. God's called me to this and you do that. But then he says, yeah, and stop sleeping with a girlfriend. 
You're like, whoa, hang on a minute, no, that can't be right. <laughs> or he says, I want you to start giving some money. Or whatever it is for you, whatever it was your God before, and he starts going after that God and saying, I want that God off the throne. And then the obedience really starts to decide whether it's going to truly obey or not. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an a prompt obedience, it's a thorough obedience, it's a trusting obedience. It's not an obedience that weighs up the odds. This faith produces an obedience that comes from trust, that says, God, I don't really know all of, I don't understand it all, I don't know how all these ducks are going to line up, but I do really honestly believe that you've spoken, and I'm just going to do it out of trust. Abraham did not know where he was going. He leaves his homeland just purely out of trust. And often, I've, just as the Lord's been speaking to me, my, often, my obedience is linked to what's in it for me. <laughs> uh, if I can see the end result, I can see how this can all play out, then I'll obey. But there's a trusting obedience that says, God, I can't see how this is any benefit to me whatsoever, but I do believe you've spoken. I want to obey. There's a story of Ken Galbraith, who was one of America's most famous economists. He served two presidents, um, and uh, Lyndon jo Johnson was one of them. And he was, uh, he was tired one day, exhausting kind of schedule, and he told his PA, Emily, he said, don't let anyone disturb me, I'm going to take a nap. Well, a few minutes later, the phone rang, and Emily answered it, and, the, and this was the voice. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is President Lyndon Johnson. And Emily replied, he's sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. No, Mr. President. I work for him, not for you. <laughs> when Ken Galbraith called the president later, the president said, tell that woman I want her working for me in the White House tomorrow. <laughs> Because he saw it, he saw an obedience that was willing to put her own job on the line. <laughs> it's a lesson for us, isn't it? <laughs> would we just obey when there's something in it for us, when we can see a career progression, as it were? Or do we obey just because our Father said, do this, and we trust Him? Faith produces an obedience like this. It produces an obedience that follows no matter what, he says, I remember when I went part-time working for the church, one day volunteering for the church a week, and my boss said to me, Simon, I'll support you. This is career suicide. He had this whole track worked out. This is career suicide. I was like, I just feel like God has spoken to me. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. I just had to obey. And amazingly, that next year, when we did our accounts, our financial accounts, we had earned more working four days a week than we had working five days a week previous to that, even though I was working a day a week for free. It hasn't carried on, sadly, but at the moment, it was a fantastic lesson that God will provide what he orders and what he asks us to do. So this is the type of obedience that comes from this faith. It's prompted by grace. It's inspired by grace, but it's produced by our faith in God. And then lastly, what does a life look like that lives this life of obedience? I think it's a life that's free from the heaviest cares, that's free from the heaviest weights. It's not that obedience doesn't produce hardship because sometimes there is hardship in obeying. Sometimes the short-term uh, hardship is difficult. But I'll tell you what, what I've learned is this. The cost of obedience is nothing compared to the cost of disobedience. Anyone else learn that lesson? If I look back on my life, the regrets that I have are never, I don't think on one occasion, the, the regrets that I've had out of obedience, they've always been out of disobedience. 
They've always been out of when I have done something off my own volition rather than listening to God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? The cost, the regrets come from disobedience, not from obedience. There's something about realizing that. And, and so it releases us, this life, from the heaviest cares. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've worried about is, what if I obey, won't it make me really busy? <laughs> won't it just make me really stressed if I obey? Do you know what? I think a lot of our stress comes from disobedience, not from obedience, because God knows how many hours we've got in the day. He knows how much emotional resource we've got, how much time resource we've got, and he's never going to ask his kids to do more than they can physically do. So if I'm doing more than I can physically do, either emotionally or in time, I wonder who is asking me or who is driving me to do that. I honestly don't believe it's God. I honestly don't believe it's God. This is not a more. This is not a solution. This is not a recipe for a more stressed life. I believe this is a, a recipe for a least, a lower stress in our lives, for lowering the pressure in our lives, because we're just doing what our Father's asking us to do. We're just doing what He is calling us to do. Jesus said, "My yoke is easy, my burden is light." I'd rather be in a storm with Jesus than anywhere else without. He will give us what it need, what we need in every situation. And it's also a life that needs and receives great grace. It needs and receives great grace. Because obedience can only be achieved by grace. There's no way we can obey what God has called us to do apart from his grace. As I said earlier, it's him working in us. It needs and receives great grace. Uh, I, I, there was another time where someone gave us a thousand pounds. I know I've just told two stories where people gave us money, and I, that's not a subtle hint or anything. I was feeling bad about it before, but you know, if you feel led. But uh, <laughs> just kidding. That's joke, joke, joke. I, I felt bad telling two stories, but uh, this is relevant. Uh, another story where someone gave us a thousand pounds. And, and it was amazing, it was timely for us, it was, it was phenomenal. But really, our story aside, I just want to tell you their story. Because what happened to them was they gave this money, it was a stretch, it was a, it was a, it was a, a jump for them to give this amount of money to us. But a week or two later, they had an analysis on their finances by somebody, by, by a government department. And they ended up getting a, a, a payment from the government, which they, wouldn't, they didn't realize at the time, but they would not have received it had they had a thousand pounds more in their account. <laughs> and a few weeks later after that, an elderly relative died and left them in their, in their will 2,000 pounds, double the amount that they'd just given away. <laughs> the life of obedience, the life that it produces, is a life that receives great grace. <laughs> When we obey him, when we follow where he's calling us to go, he resources us. He gives to what he's asking us to do. I don't know about you, but I've been in the process in this last week of repenting and saying, God, I want to change my thinking. I want to start to be one who has a faith that produces an obedience that looks like this. That when you say do, when you say like Abraham, when you say go, I go. <laughs> when you say stop, I stop. When you say give, I give. When you say serve, I serve. There's something about it. It's not slavery. It's not like a dog. It's a child with his father saying, Father, I want to be on this journey with you. I want to lift this stress off of trying to make it all happen myself, trying to work out where it's all going to go. God, I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Ever been in a situation where you thought it was all going to work one way and you did a whole lot of things to make it work that way and it goes completely the opposite way? That is stressful. And it's time to back off from that and say, Jesus, we just need grace for today. 
and we need to obey for tomorrow and we'll just follow you wherever you lead us. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. I want to pray for us all corporately. If you felt as I was speaking that particularly I want, you want to re- repent of the, the, the partial obedience and the obedience that, that is, is not prompt. It's slow. You take, God, you do obey, but you take forever to get there. Why don't you just stand wherever you are? And let's just ask God now for grace to produce an obedience that's prompt so that we can go through these doors of opportunity. And we'll pray about that in a moment. There's doors of opportunity opening. Let's kill this procrastination right now.